All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Dog People. I am the guest host this week. This is Adam Passion recording from Nagoya, Japan, and I am here with the regular host. Go ahead and give a shout out, Bob. What up? It's Bob. It's your boy, Bob. Let's go. <laughs> and also we have our good friend, Hugie Bear, a.k.a. Wait, a.k.a. is the a.k.a. <laughs> oh, wait. Whatever. We got Mike Huguenor here, too. But uh, Say hi, Mike. Hello, it is I. Hi, Mike. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's one of my AKAs. Yeah, one of your AKAs is AKA. <laughs> AKA, <Yeah>. AKA. <laughs> FKA, AKA. <laughs> so today I have um, something that's sort of similar to what we talked about before, but I wanted to talk about something that I think is sort of in my wheelhouse. So if people don't know, um, I've been a kind of dilettante cartoonist for most of my life, and I've been really into comic books and and manga um, and things like that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the kind of forays into like the manga world and the connections with the manga world that Ginan Boys and Going Steady have. Okay. Um, obviously, I would say the you know the most obvious one would be the cover art from you know Ginan Boys. I don't know if you would call it the first or the second album, but the you know Kimito Boku. I'll abbreviate it there. One of the first albums. <laughs> yeah, one of the first of two. That album art, as you guys probably know, was uh, drawn by Eguchi Hisashi, um, who drew a famous manga here called Stop Hibarikum. Do you know that manga? Yeah, I don't. So it's it's a really weird premise, Mike. Um, the idea is basically that there's this Yakuza boss, and he has uh, only daughters but he has only daughters and then he has one son, but this one son is transsexual. Not only is he transsexual, but he, I mean, she is much cuter than all the other sisters and stuff and like the most popular one. Mm. And so this dad loves his daughters and, you know, doesn't want to like force them to be different than who they are. But at the same time, he can't imagine like this trans woman taking over the syndicate, right? So Mm. it's like a weird, goofy manga where... There was like that period in the 90s and 80s where that was kind of a running theme, right? Like the gender bending kind of like Ranma and stuff like that. Yeah, Ranma for sure is what I thought of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so that comic is what it is, but people really loved the way that he drew women and he ended up becoming like this kind of fashion illustrator and became really famous for just drawing women. And actually Hibari-kun in that manga, she's always wearing really cute outfits and stuff, which kind of makes it stand apart from other books where they're always wearing one outfit. But um, actually, nobody will be able to see this if they're not on this Zoom call, but I bought this weird book called Comic Q a few years ago at this um, in Jimbocho, which is like the famous book book village of Tokyo, where there's just like hundreds of bookstores. Mm-hmm. And this is a really weird, it's, it's from 1995. You can see it's the first issue. And if you look on the side here, it says Eguchi Hisashi, and he's like the special editor of this. And it's like a weird avant-garde manga magazine. And I was reading about this and it was the idea that they were saying, we want to have a magazine that is disposable, but nobody can get themselves to throw it away. <laughs> that was like, the, that was like the, the, the idea behind it. And by the way, there's a phrase that people use in Japan called tokushu, right? Which means like the special edition kind of thing of a magazine. And <laughs> this one... Every issue from issue two was always called Tokushu. Like, so there was, <laughs> they were always a special edition. Yeah. 
So um, mangaka who are in this are all like now it's got Matsumoto Taiyo who made like, you know, Taking Concrete and Ping Pong and stuff like that. Yeah. It has uh, Otomo Katsuhiro who made Akira and it has like Yoshida Sensha and like all of these people who are really huge names now, both in the mainstream comics world and also the kind of more avant-garde or artistic style manga stuff that you, you see these guys even now in like Axe or they used to be in Garo back in the 70s and 80s. So it's a really weird collection. I'm actually surprised that I even found this weird book because it's before a lot of those people broke. So anyway, all that to say, like, Eguchi Hisashi is, he's a kind of commercial success in that he had this big title, but he also has like his roots in the kind of more artsy manga world. When I was uh, studying Japanese at Foothill, my uh, my my Japanese professor had some uh, Denny's menus that she had straight up stolen from a Denny's in Japan. Uh-huh. And Eguchi Hisashi had done all the art on the menus. They were like the coolest looking <laughs> menus you've uh, ever seen. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Well, I have like two or three Eguchi, Eguchi Hisashi books that I bought at Nikaku when I worked there. And mm-hmm. uh, some of the art from the Denny's books is in there. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some pics. I was like, okay. years later when I got the books, I was like, oh shit, it's the Denny's menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's so weird because there's another guy. I don't know if you guys know um, somebody named Hayashi Seichi. Mm-mm. He's one of those guys that is like one of the founding kind of fathers of of Japanese avant-garde manga. Like he was one of the early Garo guys back in the 60s and 70s. But most people, he, even here in Japan, don't know his manga. But they all know his drawing of this this character from a candy called Komechan. So he drew this weird kind of three-quarter perspective of this woman. She's, you can only see the back of her head and then like her eyelash. Um, but it's this like famous, iconic candy wrapper. And that's what everybody knows him for. <laughs> Not his <laughs> comic work. Um, I wanted to talk about some of the things that Mineta has done like on screen and how that kind of connects. So I think the first one that everybody would know is the film Identity, which came out in 2003. Yeah. And, or I guess it's written as Iden and Titty, which is kind of what the title song is as well. But that film was based on the manga written by Miura Jun. And Miura Jun is also one of those guys in that same world, that Garo magazine, that hip uh, underground Gekiga. What era was this? Like the 70s or 80s or something? Yeah, or? yeah. So um, Gano was mostly in the 70s. Um, and I think it started in the 60s, but it was mostly through the 70s. And it carried on through the 80s. When it finally did close down, the same company, that the same publisher, Seiding Kogesha, they started a new magazine called Axe. And that's still going to this day. And a lot of the same people are there in it. The older guys who were in Gato are now like either editors or like special edition editors. Okay. So, um, yeah, Miurajun was part of that world and he's kind of this hip essayist, mangaka, illustrator. He also does music. His wife is kind of a, you know, popular in that scene as well. And so he's one of those kind of elder statesmen in that, in that kind of scene. Okay. But also, uh, the film was directed by somebody named Taguchi Tomoro. Taguchi Tomoro is, is kind of interesting and he, he fits Mineta in a really interesting way because he actually was in a punk band called Bachikaburi. 
so the the idea that he decided to create this film, which is about rock and roll singers. Actually, Bob, do you want to tell about the plot of the film? It's uh, Minetta's character is in a band, the uh, Speedway, right? Yep, Speedway. Speedway is kind of like a a mid level indie band, and they see like these bands that they view as posers, kind of getting a little more love. And um, there's this uh, push and pull between Minetta's character and the singer of his band between like staying true to your art or like doing shit that'll make them popular. The general story is just about Minetta's character struggling with like being a scumbag rocker and being famous and hooking up with groupies or like keeping it real, writing music that means something to him and finding true love. Yeah. And in the end, I think he he chooses keeping it real. Right. Without giving too much away. That's what happens. I think he chooses keeping it real, but he also like makes really cringy, um, sappy <laughs> love songs too. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, in my memory of it too, I feel like though it is about um, like rock and roll and about like a punk band, it has this feel of like a slice of life manga kind of. It feels mm-hmm. like kind of muted and kind of like um, just kind of like impressionistic almost. Just kind of like these little little moments a lot of the time. That's really interesting that you say that because that's totally how the manga is. Like it's sort of like a diary or something. It's just like this mm. memoir kind of thing. It's basically the story of, yeah, this musician. It follows the same general story. And it's just interesting to me that like, Miyota Jun himself is a mangaka who is kind of an aspiring musician as well. And he was surrounded in that community of the that kind of, you know, artsy community in the 70s and stuff of these other musicians and people like that. And the fact that this director, he was, you know, himself a musician, but actually I did some digging and he was also a cartoonist in the beginning. Oh, okay. So in 1981, he made a manga series called uh, No Pan Panic, which basically means, no pan means not wearing any underwear. So, <laughs> Yo, um, I know something about that, dude. <laughs> Ever tell you guys this story? There was a... A famous Mexican uh, pop song in, in the 80s by this group called Flans, and the song is called No Controles, which is like, don't control me. Yeah. And uh, But when I was a kid and I would run around naked, my, my family would be like, no conchones. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be my song. Without your, without your chones. You know what? With, with no chonies. <laughs> I, I thought chones was like a standard word for the longest time until I said it to people who are not from California, and they were like, what the hell are you talking about? So that's one of those uh, California slang, the chones. But yeah, yeah. So he, so he made this, um, he made this series called No Pan Panic, which came out in 1981. And it depends on how you want to define like the metric of success as far as comics go. Like one of the main goals I think for people starting out is to get the word lensai, which means like a serialized comic, right? You get into a monthly or a weekly magazine, and that's like that first hurdle where you've established yourself. But then the step beyond that is when you get that tanko bone, which is like they've collected your work into a into a you know separate volume. Because that means that you're not only selling with all these other people, but you're selling on your own name alone. Okay. And so um, that No Pan Panic has one single tanko bone that was collected into. So, I mean, he reached a certain level of success, but nobody really knows that comic as far as I know. So um, it's just interesting that Miura Jun himself and then... 
Taguchi Tomoro, who directed this film, they all have that, the triple threat kind of thing going on, right? Like they're all, to varying degrees of success, involved in music, involved in comics, and involved in television or movies. Um, and that includes Mineta in that, right? Right. So that that's one that I thought was always was interesting. And I remember that film in particular being really, um, I went out and bought the DVD. This was back when ordering things from Japan, you paid more in shipping than you paid for the actual thing. And I remember like me and you, Bob, and other people, we would like pool all of our things that we wanted into one order because we didn't want to pay for <laughs> multiple shipping things. And <laughs> yeah, we'd split the shipping later. So I remember ordering that DVD and I was so excited about it because it had original songs written by Mineta in there. And that's that title track, I Den and Titi, um, I really liked it. It's, a, it's a kind of a simple, pretty little song. Years later, when I heard them release the song Hikari, I thought it has a really similar kind of melody. Part of it does. Um, maybe I'm the only one who thought that. But... The other thing is that that film has Bob Dylan as kind of this like specter <laughs> um, who keeps coming and like helping him out. And Bob Dylan's, he doesn't talk in the film. He only plays a harmonica. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was a, like a, a choice, I think, in the film because you obviously it would be hard to express that in in manga, but in, in the manga, there is like a Dylan looking character. Like, I think he looks like a little dog or something. Yeah, there definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it's definitely supposed to be Dylan, um, which is funny because Dylan, I wouldn't call him punk, but, <laughs> but especially not later Dylan. But this is something that I always connected in my own head, whether or not it's factually accurate or not, I don't know. But that's about the era where I started hearing Mineta playing harmonica in his own music, you know, and, and in that song, Hikari, there's definitely like really weird emotional kind of sounding, like almost like it's like shaking and crying kind of harmonica playing and I always wondered if that film, like having that harmonica around, influenced him in any way. Reference this in an earlier episode, but uh, I kind of feel like that was around the era where Mineta was breaking out of the little pop punk bubble, and so he's hanging out with all these people that you've mentioned who are who have deep roots in kind of like general Tokyo hipsterdom, and so I think that's when he's adding more things to his music because he's being exposed to more influences or just kind of broadening his horizon. So it's like. Yeah, I'm not going to write songs that just sound like the Blue Hearts anymore. I'm going to like, like, oh shit, I like, I like Bob Dylan. I like folk music now. I think that's kind of all part of the, the the same progression. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. One thing you just mentioned that and it made me remember is is uh, if you remember the very last track on the album Door, there's the song Nantonaku Boku Tachi wa Otodani yeah. Narunda, and it it's it's them it's him playing like a folk guitar and everybody's singing around in this in this big room it sounds like and actually 
one of the people in the background who's singing along is Taguchi Tomoro from this, oh, mm. the director of this film. Interesting. Yeah. So um, there's definitely there's definitely that connection. That's why I kind of wonder if he was just if he was a punk singer, and he was in that Tokyo scene that you're talking about. That's probably how they pulled Mineta into this because you know it was kind of a natural fit with him being interested in manga and being in the in the band. You know, this is this is what year? Like 2004 that this came out? 2006? I'm trying to remember now. 2005. 2005, yeah. I was right in between. <laughs> I, was, I was getting there. It was coming in. Yeah, yeah. You, you bookended the year. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, uh, I don't know how big folk punk was in Japan at the time, you know? But I feel like um, he was kind of on the, like, cutting edge a little bit of folk punk at the time. Like, putting that in a way that wasn't so much a genre, but just kind of, like, using that element um, using uh, folksy, uh, you know, acoustic and harmonica uh, instruments that way. I used to, the, the year I lived there, I probably went and saw Four Tomorrow like three or four times. And uh, they had this band open for them at one of their shows. I can't remember what the band was called, but they were clearly like an AJJ knockoff. It was an acoustic guitar and a violin instead of a, a, an upright bass. Hmm. And I remember they had this one song that was Bike Punks. Bike punks, we are the bike punks. <laughs> it was the corniest shit I ever saw. So that's that's all I could tell you about the state of folk punk in Japan, circa 2009. They got the bike punks. They're doing good. <laughs> yeah. So um, that that was that that film. I think has a lot of different ties. You can see that there's a, a personal kind of connection with Taguchi Tomoro and and with Mineta. And then their connection to Miura Jun. And actually, Tagu- Taguchi Tomoro and Miura Jun have written some things together as well. Um, besides just working on this film, they, they, they did something called Bronson Nara Koyu, and, which basically means this is how Bronson would say it. <laughs> um, and that one, they're kind of co-writing that one. So yeah, they're, they're kind of got their, their own creative thing going. In 2010, uh, the film Boys on the Run, Mineta starred as the lead in that uh, character named Tanishi, uh, Toshiyuki Tanishi. And Tanishi is like a type of Japanese (coughs) snail. I don't know if it's Japanese, but it's a type of snail that you find in like the uh, rice fields here. A gross little thing. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, so Boys on the Run, it's based on a manga by um, Hanazawa Kengo, who is really, he, he draws these really nerdy uh, kind of loser characters in all of his stories. So his most famous work uh, most recently was the was the series I Am a Hero, which I think, Bob, you know. I followed it for a while. That became a, a film, I think, and maybe even a TV series. But I Am a Hero is basically like what happened if a zombie outbreak happened in Japan, right? So you have like the, the aging population and you have like the shut-ins, and all these other social problems here. And so, like, half of the zombies don't have teeth because they're old and they can't really bite you. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a society without any guns, so you don't have the option of shooting the zombies. You just have to kind of run from them. And then, obviously, because it affects the people who are always out on the street, 
the shut-ins who never leave their house are the ones who actually kind of end up saving everybody and like <laughs> being the ones who are like the communication <laughs> defense for everything, you know? And, and so it's a really funny take on the zombie premise. And this one, Boys on the Run, this is the story of a guy who is a designer of those little toys that you get in the capsule machines. Little vending machines. Yeah, the little gacha gacha that they call them in Japan. And he's in love with this woman, but, you know, this other guy is kind of sets him up to fail so that he can steal the girl. And so it's the same kind of story of like this loser who's trying to get more than his lot kind of allows him in life and stuff. And it's a really funny, really, really funny series. The comic book itself is. But the movie actually translated a lot of that humor, I felt. Um, Mineta plays a really great, lovable loser. Like tape on glasses loser. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if this scene ever made it to the movie. I don't remember the movie well enough. But in the comic book, there's a part where he's trying to fight this guy and he accidentally shits his pants. And that's what makes the guy like run away is because he, <laughs> he like falls on him and shits his pants. I think that is in the movie. Is it in the movie? Okay. Yeah. I think so. It- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always thought that was a really hilarious premise that the guy, he finally like wins his fight, but it's not because he's a he's been training all this time. It's because he like <laughs> shits himself. Um, yeah. Any means necessary. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there's, there's another series that's not so well known by Hanazawa Kengo, which is, uh, which is this one here called Lusanchimam. And it's, um, this one is actually really prescient in a way because it, it was written years and years ago, but it's about like VR, like people escaping into these VR worlds before VR was really a thing. And this really kind of almost like a critique on modern Japanese society and stuff because everybody's just, they're not even like, a lot of it's sexual, but then there's other ones where you can just go into this VR world and be a hero and be somebody that you're not in your real life and stuff. And hmm. yeah, his manga is, I can see why it would be really appealing to somebody like Mineta. Not that he's like a love of a loser in any sense, but just that, um, I don't know, there's like this appeal to, you know. To freaks. Yeah, not even freaks, but like people who are trying, people who are not good at expressing feelings in a certain way or something, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's hard for me to put it together. But but yeah, all of them sound kind of like a, a more emotionally raw take than you normally kind of get. Situation like the guy shitting himself in the middle of a fight. Um, normally uh, that would be written out or <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't be shown at all, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but like, I think like the rawness is something that, yeah, is like, just so much of the music and in, in like uh, all the art that he loves and um, or at least uh, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. So this film was directed by somebody named Miura Daisuke. And I thought, oh, maybe he's related to Miura Jun in some way, but I don't think that he is. But Miura Daisuke is in the same production company as Taguchi Tomoro. It's a company called MASH. And so there is that connection as well. I always wondered how it was that this role became available for somebody like Mineta because this one, unlike the other film, it doesn't really have anything to do with music at all. Even though, I, you know, despite that, I think that Mineta fits it perfectly. Like he plays the character really well. But I think maybe there might be that connection because Taguchi Tomoro knows the director Miura Daisuke, you know, through their production company. That could be the connection. I don't really know how that role ever got offered to him. But Part of me always thought that maybe, uh, maybe Mineta was just a big fan of the comic and somehow... Yeah. That forced uh, Fate's hand a little bit more to like, yeah, you're going to be in the role because maybe he's already made some sort of overture to the the author or someone who could make it happen. Yeah, yeah, that's entirely possible. 
Mike, were you there when we stayed at Minetta's apartment? No, Angelina was. I wasn't there, um, but I've heard about it. I don't even remember what the circumstances were. I just remember that he invited us to come over and hang out at his place. And it, it wasn't at all what you would expect a rock and roll singer's house to look like. It was what you'd expect a shut-in's house in to look like, sort of. Like it was. <laughs> I mean, I honestly like was worried that the floor would collapse out because he just had bookshelves and bookshelves. Like the whole place was just floor to ceiling covered in books, and a lot of them were manga. Some of them were books about music and stuff. And then on the other side of the room, he had just tons and tons of records. So it was like this him just nerding out about these two things, and you could tell that those are like things that really matter to him was comic books and music. And I remember him, he lent me, he lent me some books at the time. So there was a manga series. Um, hold on, actually, I'm going to grab it for you. I like the idea that he lent it and you never gave it back. Yeah. <laughs> That's my style. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, uh, Inachu Takyubu, the ping pong club. Do you guys know that one? A little bit. I've never read it, but I've seen it. Yeah, so that's that's by um, you know this guy Furutani Minoru, I think is how you read that. And um, yeah, there was a series going on at that time called Shigatera. It's not as funny as Inachitakubu, but yeah, Minoru lent lent it to me. And he's like, "You've got to read this. You're going to love it." And to be honest, I didn't really see what the appeal was that he liked so much. But that one is also about, if I remember correctly, I think it's about like a guy who works at like a conveni and he's just like this loser kind of character. <laughs> You're a loser. You'll love this shit. Yeah, he's like, you're going to love this. <laughs> yeah. So I, I may be getting that confused because there's this other, the one I'm holding right now, Wani Tokagigisu, which is another series, which is, you know, he, he has a bunch of series about kind of loser, lovable loser kind of people. Actually, not even lovable losers, actually kind of d- despicable losers <laughs> in his <laughs> comics. <laughs> anyway, I, I just say that to, to make the point that I think that manga is something that really matters to him. And we mentioned in other ones where he talks about, you know, anime and stuff that he was influenced by as a kid and things like that. So these are just weird little offshoot projects that didn't really have to do with the band so much, other than the fact that similar to him writing original music for uh, Identity, he also wrote the theme song for Boys on the Run. And that one actually showed up on one yeah. of their on their albums, right? So... So I, and I always wonder if that's something that he offered to do or if it's something that they asked him to do or if it was like like the way that Keanu Reeves would only appear in movies if Dogstar could be on the uh, <laughs> on the soundtrack. I don't know. Like that's in his writer or something. <laughs> This guy, uh, Miura Daisuke, who directed the film Boys on the Run, he's actually more connected to the theater world. He's a playwright and he's really involved in a lot of theater, which after Ginnan Boys sort of broke up, before Mineta started showing so much up on TV, he was doing a lot of theater. I think that that could have been really influential as well. I mean, there was that album that Ginnan Boys put out that was all just the soundtrack to a weird stage play that they did.
I think this is stuff you might bring up on your own, but the Dote So Young CD cover was drawn by a manga artist. I'm not familiar with any of his work. I just know I've seen it other where I've seen his style other places. What's what's that dude's deal? Do you know? The uh, cover art from the album Dote So Young, that was done by a manga artist named Koizumi Tomohiro. And he's actually part of that whole, he was published by Seiding uh, Kogeisha as well, which is the publisher who made um, Garo and okay. Axe and all the other stuff too. So yeah. Interesting. So there's that connection. There's same one. scene. Yep. Same scene. Yeah. So, and that, and that scene, I mean, that is the scene, I think, for like kind of artsy avant-garde manga like everybody is influenced by that and that not only here in japan but i think when people talk about like japanese avant-garde or 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 gekiga right like people like um tatsumi yoshihiro and people like that they're all part of that scene even like mizuki shigeru who made um gegege no kitaro and stuff yeah gegege no kitaro he was publishing a lot of his stuff in in Garo and, and things like that as well. So that is like the heart and soul of Japanese uh, independent or, you know, art focused manga mm. for sure. Adam, at the beginning of the episode, you called yourself a comics dilettante. But I feel like seeing you participating in the greater comic scene, I've kind of been able to vicariously see what other scenes are like outside of my little music scene bubble. And I love seeing that it's it's kind of the same thing. Like you might be a small player, but you know bigger players. And it's kind of all still one community where like the same way I see with like my friends who've kind of uh, quote unquote made it. I still see like, oh, this is where they came from. They still have these connections. They're still listening to the new up and coming bands. Like, and I think it's so cool to see that paralleled in other scenes. Like I, I even see it in like, food or like mm -hmm. film whatever like there's the there's definitely definitely communities and it's uh i think from the outside it seems like something so so opaque like how do you break into that how do these people meet each other and then once you're once you're involved for me like music doesn't seem like so weird i'm like i'm just a scenester like i just know people and it's not because i'm hot shit or anything it's just like i feel like it's cool to see that with other scenes like as well like and mineta somehow got his foot into that comics scene it seems like yeah you're absolutely right it seems super surreal to me sometimes like when i'll you know i'll pick up like for example comic beam which is a monthly magazine here and i'm reading through it i'm like oh this is this is my friend so and so who has a strip this week and i mean this month and yeah that's tight it's weird it's weird to like kind of know people who are who are actually out there doing that and i think it must be the similar thing with you when you you know you have these friends who are it doesn't seem, it seems sort of surreal to have friends that are on that level, even though you don't feel like that when you're interacting with them, right? I mean, we're recording a podcast here Friday night on midnight and Mike was just on TV a week ago. Like, yeah, you go from someone who was on TV to like back to our normal <laughs> mundane existence. Yeah, and even to me, it doesn't really feel like uh, anything has, has changed exactly. You know, yeah. like um, it was... Uh, a great experience and um, I'm really happy it happened, but I, it's not like you suddenly go through some doorway and are a different place or anything like that. It's, it's really more, um, yeah, like you're saying, you're kind of coming from a, a scene or you're coming from an area and usually it's just people who are trying to do something because they love music and they want to want to do it and they're finding the other people who uh, also love it and are just trying to make it happen one way or yeah. the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, those, those people all come from a place and, and they tend to all grow together. 
Yeah, that's that actually is something that I was talking, you know, about on the episode when we were talking to Chin is that like, you know, that everybody's connected in these ways and you never know where their career is going to go from that point. Like, for example, it's the 35 year anniversary of Mario and they're like slamming that hard on the TV here and pushing it. And the, the commercials that they have here in Japan has Hoshino Gen playing music oh, while Mario's like running around the room. If you had asked me 20 years ago, that guy was just like one of those homies kicking back with Chin and all the other guys like making weird music. So Yeah, it's cool. It's yeah, it's it's super weird. You know, after after you mentioned Hoshino Gen in that episode, I uh I have Hoshino Gen's first solo album on vinyl. I think I think Fusa gave it to me as a present or something. Okay. And uh I was just like, "Oh, Hoshino Gen's famous." I'm like, "I wonder if this record's worth anything." And I looked it up and it's a uh, I have a pressing from uh, Kakuba Rhythm, uh-huh. but apparently the record was later like licensed and re-released by whatever major label he's on now. And so I saw Fools selling the major label version for a thousand dollars on Discogs, and I was like, Dang. I was like, damn, I have wow. the Kakuba Rhythm one, and I've listened to it once. Like, uh, it didn't really blow my mind, but I was like, oh shit, maybe I should flip this record for some money. <laughs> like, <laughs> like now that Homeboy's yeah. hella, f- and he's on Netflix. He has a Netflix special. I was like, damn, fool's way bigger oh, than I whoa. thought he was. Oh yeah, he's huge here. He's huge, huge. And um, out of those like young blood dudes who are coming up now in the Japanese scene, like uh, Yonezu Kenshi and stuff like that, like he's totally right there at the forefront of that. So, yeah. I guess that brings it back to what we're talking about, like that whole, the comic scene and stuff. Yeah, like everybody plays their part and everybody, I don't know, everybody, whatever part it is that you play, like it's all part of this greater thing of just creative people hanging out and trying to make something um, something beautiful. So right. I've actually even thought that that would be a way for me to bridge a conversation with Mineta was like not through music but through comics because i you know I, I have this big festival that i organize once a year in tokyo and it's pretty we have some pretty big guests who come and do stuff there including one guy who actually has done a whole bunch of work for uk project bands oh tight. Uh, he does like all their posters and stuff like that um an artist named kaneko atsushi and so i've always thought like oh maybe there's this other angle that i could approach hanging out with mineta again because it would be it would almost seem more genuine because I'm not coming at him as a fan in that case. I'm coming at him as, you know, a fellow dude who's interested in comics. A fellow nerd. Yeah, a fellow comics nerd. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Plus you need to give him back those comics you borrowed. It's been fucking <laughs> ten years. <laughs> that's that's the end for the conversation. Just call me like, hey, hey dude. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm really give it back to you now. I'm really slow at reading <laughs> Japanese, man. I just it took me 10 years to get through this three volume series. <laughs> a lot of kanji in these books. You gotta look them each up. <laughs> Dude, okay, so yeah. you mentioned earlier how uh, these these artists ran in the same scene and were published in that magazine uh, w- along with uh, Otomo Katsuhiro. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, this is something I've been wanting to talk with you about, Adam, as someone who like, you, now you, you, you live in Japan, you speak Japanese like pretty dang good. You have a really good accent for an American. And I'll bleep the name out when we actually edit this episode, but do you know our friend? <laughs> yeah, I know him through the scene. I don't I don't think we've ever interacted 
personally. I have this memory of it's like got under my skin and it's like it's still there to this day where he was talking about the movie Akira or you know you could say Akira whatever but he was trying to say it like that in a way that like really annoyed me in a way where I'm just like it's cool if you just say Akira he would be like he's like yeah we're gonna do a special screening of Akira at the movie theater <laughs> like, like ah you can just say Akira it's cool man like and that yeah. drives me crazy like like if I'm playing Street Fighter with someone I don't want to hear them like butcher Ryu's name trying to like say it more Japanese like Ryu or whatever like <coughs> you can just say Ryu man we're in America like this is just how we say yeah. it like <laughs> yeah like uh, when people say like karate in America <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one that always bothers me is when you hear people like arguing over the pronunciation they're like Hiroshima and like no it's Hiroshima and it's like man both you fools are wrong <laughs> and right at the same time like just imagine imagine that on the other side, if you heard like two Japanese people arguing about how you're supposed to pronounce San Francisco and it's like, it's not San Francisco, it's San Francisco. And it's like, man, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. It's so inconsequential. Yeah, there's no like uh, stress, right? There's no particular like uh, saying it, um, putting the emphasis on one particular uh, syllable doesn't change the word at all. It's not more correct than the other. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, you know, and I've heard people having that similar kind of like pedantic argument in Japanese, like about English pronunciation. They're like, you know, they're talking about um, when to say the and when to say the. And they're like saying these strict rules like, oh, you have to say the in this type of situation. It's like, no, you don't. Who gives a shit? Yeah. So uh, that was another episode of Dog People um, talking about the strange connections between manga, music, stage, and screen. Uh, join us again for our episode next time where we talk about something probably even deeper and weirder <laughs> and more obtuse. Thanks again, guys. All right. Peace. See ya later. Thanks for listening to Dog People. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at dogpeople666, where we'll be posting supplemental photos and such for each episode. If you like what we're doing here, help us spread the word by sharing the show with a friend or two. Also, check out Adam's other podcast, Searching for Grog, wherein three brothers try to reconstruct their childhood memories of a road trip involving sledding accidents, freak hailstorms, confessions of love, and an arcade game about cavemen playing golf. Shout out to some of our other favorite music podcasts out there. 
Better yet, a long-form interview podcast covering the best artists from the extended DIY punk community. Unscripted Moments, a podcast about propaganda, and As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, both of which inspired us to do something similar, and the In Defense of Ska podcast by our old friend Aaron Carnes. <laughs>